The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Examining the issues, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Breaking news in Davos, Switzerland at the World Economic Forum. The Earth is going to be granted human rights. Earth rights. Nature rights. Trees, plants, rivers, lakes, bodies of land are now going to have the same legal protections as you and I. Let's go to clip two, the World Economic Forum, arguing for Earth human rights. I mean, ecocide as a word is becoming more, it's becoming better known around the world. And the concept is generally mass damage and destruction of nature. Um, but legally speaking, um, what our organisation and other collaborators aim to do is to have this recognised legally as a serious crime. Because one of the issues that sort of pervades all of this discussion is that we have a kind of cultural, very ingrained habit of not taking damage to nature as seriously as we take damage to people and property. Um, and that, I mean, you know, if you're campaigning for human rights, at least you know mass murder, torture, all of these things are serious crimes. But there's no equivalent in the environmental space. Um, and so, and, and you know, unlike a, an international crime like genocide that in, involves a specific intent, with ecocide, what we see is actually what people are trying to do, what businesses are trying to do, is make money, is, you know, is farm, is fish, is do all of these things that are... Um, you know, producing energy and so on um, as well. But what's, it, what's missing is the awareness and the conscience around the side effects, around the collateral damage that happens with that. Yes, ecocide. You want to make a, a backyard garden? Ecocide, the full prosecution of the government against you. You want to cut some branches around your home? Ecocide. You want to farm the land and produce food for your community. Ecocide! You want to go fishing. Ecocide! You want to go out in a boat. Ecocide! You want to clear the rake the leaves in your backyard. Ecocide! This is our future if we allow it. And there's a whole separate movement. This is what they're talking about, the World Economic Forum. But there's a whole movement out there talking about nature rights, about granting rivers and lakes equal protection under the law uh, as humans, uh, as though they, ha they have existing rights. This is truly paganism gone amok. And it's our future only if we allow it. Okay, I got some other clips uh, from the World Economic Forum. As I promised yesterday, we're going to continue some of our coverage here. At the World Economic Forum has finally ended, but we're, we're just getting just the videos keep pouring out. This is no joke, as they say. Uh, it's incredible. Remember, I did the houseplant story a few weeks ago. And I guess I wreaked havoc with all the the green on the face uh, at the green you know, with our studio here. But now they don't they only want they want to ban house plants and wood burning pizza ovens and gas powered cars and meat eating. And they want thermostat controls on your home and they want to gas stoves and gas furnaces, ban those. And they want to ban gas leaf blowers, blah, 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 blah. Goes on and on. They want to limit your travel. They want to. Uh, do all this under the form of a climate lockdown. Well, now they're coming for your coffee. 
and I'm not making this up, Swiss banker and World Economic Forum agenda contributor. Hmm, agenda contributor. I want to contribute to your insane anti-human agenda. Very well. We will call you an agenda contributor of the World Economic Forum. Well, agenda contributor Hubert Keller, agenda contributor, Swiss banker, is now talking about the carbon footprint of coffee. And I ain't making this up. Go to clip three. We'll be having our coffee before the session, and, and you raised the coffee example. I'd love just to give you the chance to expand on that. Basically, the coffee that we all drink um, emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee. So we should all know that this is every time we drink coffee, we are basically putting CO2 into the atmosphere. Um, the other, and one of the reasons is because most of the coffee plantation, or most of the coffee is produced through monoculture, and, um, and, and monoculture is also affected by climate change. Um, the quality of these nature assets is uh, deteriorating quite rapidly. The carbon footprint of your coffee contributing to global warming. Remember the old Jackie Gleason show? He would have uh, his coffee mug, but it wasn't exactly coffee. Boy, that's good Brazilian blend. Uh, he would he would have a lot of liquor in it, but to for them on the main stage of the World Economic Forum in Davos to start talking about the carbon footprint of coffee is bonkers. When does this insanity end? Just to reiterate what he was talking about here, he's literally saying that coffee we drink is putting CO two into the atmosphere. That they're going after the whole production. It's just like the houseplant story. And not only that, but the same same days he's saying that, the UK Telegraph just two days ago comes out with an article, the carbon footprint of homegrown food five times greater than those grown conventionally. So you want to have a backyard garden, grow some carrots and broccoli. Uh, you are now a planet killer. You're guilty of ecocide, according to the World Economic Forum. They found individual garden structures, individual garden structure, that's a fancy way of saying your backyard garden, responsible for increased levels of CO2. And just to give you a side, this is a study. Now, people got money for this. They had people show up for work. They did work, months of work with research, statistics. Study from the University of Michigan looked at how much CO2 was produced when growing food in different types of urban farms and found that an average serving of food made from traditional farms creates 0 0.07 kilograms of CO2. I don't even know if that's measurable, certainly not atmospherically. The impact of the environment of homegrown gardens is five times higher at 0.34 kilograms per portion for individual gardens, such as vegetable patches. Wow, my God, you have a vegetable patch. The hell with your car. You can keep your gas-powered car. Get in that vegetable. I want that vegetable thing out of here. I'm the Ecoside Compliance Division of the World Economic Forum. Your vegetable garden has to go. You can keep your car for another six years, and then that's got to go. But let's have priorities. Your vegetable garden has to go now. This is nuts. Just absolutely nuts. And this is making it into corporate media. It's These are major studies. I, I don't know what else to say. This then this is just freaking nuts. Nuts, nuts, nuts. And I'm sure nuts, by the way, are going to be considered uh ecocide at some point. Okay. Uh speaking of the cars, this is I was on Laura Ingram on Fox News talking a little bit about Davos and the World Economic Forum, also talking uh about 
the electric cars and the freeze up. This is clip four, uh, part one of me on Laura Ingram on Fox News primetime. These are unusually cold temperatures, but do you find this acceptable? No, not at all. <laughs> Joining me now is Mark Morano, publisher and executive editor of Climate Depot. Um, Mark, how dangerous is something like this? Well, imagine if uh, the Biden administration's wish were reality and gas-powered cars were banned and people could only be driving EVs. You would have a catastrophe on your hands of people stranded everywhere. I would argue this is a feature, not a bug. I mean, this is part of making travel, freedom of movement more difficult. The more we're stuck uh, with cars that don't work, cars that take a long time to charge, the more they think they'll force us into mass transit, subways, buses, and the earth will smile. This is what the ideologues at Davos are pushing. This is what the Biden administration is pushing. Well, the administration is saying this, this whole push for like range anxiety. People have range yeah. anxiety. That, that's all just made up. His own uh, energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, with NPR in tow, ha had to have range anxiety in the summer in August, and she had to cut off a pregnant woman with her child with, with an infant to charge at the charging station. They were so desperate to have a feel-good PR trip. Pete Buttigieg had similar problems. They can't even get their own administration to have this uh, EV vehicles go well. This is akin to what we saw in the old Soviet Union, particularly East Germany, I think of with the Trabant, where the government said you can only have one government approved car, the crappy East German Trabant, which had, we had a waiting list for 10 years. And now fast forward, the once free West, Europe, United States, Canada, we're emulating that insane well, stuff Trump we laugh totally about. Trump was totally right. Trump was totally right when he, and he looked at those auto workers yeah. and he said, this deal, yeah, whatever, but they're putting you out of business. This, this EV thing is going to put you out of business. Was it Trump's 2013 uh, tweet about global warming invented to help China? China is now passing Japan as the number one global exporter of cars, an invasion of Chinese cars, a Chinese maker. No, we're done. It's we're because done. they have the monopoly on EV. As I say, they, they EV EVs dig the earth, uh, and that's what China is as a monopoly. Now, yes, and I have an update to that. When I was on Laura Ingram, the update is that breaking news this morning here across the world is the Toyota motor car chairman predicts battery electric cars will only ever reach a maximum of 30% share. Keep in mind, in the U.S., it's 6-7% of our sales are, are full of, you know, EVs. Car maker is betting on multiple technologies to reduce that, and Toyota has rebuffed criticism of being late to the EV shift. So this is incredible. So finally, the automakers, you have the Buick dealers opting out, you have the heads of uh, Chrysler and, and Ford all basically saying, this isn't working, we can't go. You have Avis Rental Car getting rid of a third of their fleet, uh, or, or at least 30,000 of their fleet of uh, EVs for high maintenance and low consumer demand. And when you have a rental car company, that's... That's the but you can't get worse than low demand for the car and high maintenance. They're, they're out of here. Um, part two, Fox News clip. I'm talking about John Kerry, Davos, and Al Gore. Let's take a look. We're seeing it in real time. We're watching it happen to Biden administration officials. And now you have the spectacle because they know this is slipping, the EV mandate and a lot of the solar people are catching on. Al Gore at the same Davos meeting is now saying once we achieve the political goal of net zero, which is essentially was pulled out of thin air, according to top UN like scientists, social distancing. The, the Earth's temperature will stop rising almost immediately within three years. He's pulling oh God, a COVID thing, like wear your mask, do the lockdown, get the vac, and everything will be better very quick. They're literally pushing this now. Three years and we'll stop global warming and it's over. We never have to hear about it again, according to what we're well, hearing from Davos. The gas bags are always at it. They're the ones who <laughs> add to the temperature. Mark, yeah. great to see you. Thank you.
Yeah, it's a lot of fun to go on Laura Ingram. She's actually been the best Fox News host, at least since Dan Bongino left, focusing on Davos, the World Economic Forum, and the Great Reset. She gets it, and I'm just so happy to have that outlet to get her because I, I want to get... Um, want to keep this going. One of the things I'm working on right now is getting a trip scheduled for Geneva, Switzerland, so I can be there during the pandemic treaty discussions of the World Health Organization. I hope to be on scene. I got to get credentialed. I have to get access. We'll see. There's a lot of barriers between now and then, but it would be in May if I go. Uh, and I will let you know, I may even be able to do the show live from Geneva, Switzerland. It's unleashed uh, with the pandemic treaty. So we shall see. Okay. Well, it looks like Joe Biden has a major announcement. Let's listen closely to what he has to say. Let's hear what our president, Joe Biden, clip one has to say. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. Um, what did he say? Was the audience, did they just cheer? Okay, let's play that again. Clip one, what is the audience cheering at? What did he say and why is the audience cheering? Uh, let's take a look. Clip one, one more time. What is Joe Biden saying? We'll teach Donald Trump a, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. I, the audience seemed to love it. I mean, I don't know. I, it is English, I believe. Something about don't mess with the women of America unleash uh something about getting benefits i i don't know but i, I just find that fascinating that we're going to have that uh, by the way later joining us will be former uh trump campaign official mark lauder who will be joining us and i think you'll really enjoy that we're going to talk all things related to the 2024 campaign and yes it is now 2024 so we can talk about it more i haven't really got into the horse race aspects of it a lot but i will we'll get a deep dive in with him okay well today i stopped by uh the mark I keep wanting to say Mark Mann, the Mark Stein, Michael Mann uh, defamation trial in Washington, D.C. Superior Court. And I'll have some video of that tomorrow. Again, you can't film in the courtroom, but I got some fun stuff for you today because I have the uh, the actor's reenactment of the court transcripts done by Ann and fellow McAleer, the producers who did the movie Gosnell. They're doing a fantastic job covering this cover this trial every day they have scripts they have hired actors to recreate it so you can hear mark stein's opening testimony i went today and michael mann was on, on the witness stand being asked questions by his own lawyers so they were pretty softball i believe it was his own lawyers or maybe it was possibly Rand simberg's lawyer because i know it wasn't mark stein uh they were just more of establishing questions he was talking about the inquiries into the climate gate scandal that michael mann was implicated in and of course the establishment cleared the establishment's favorite scientist so he was just talking about how he was cleared of any wrongdoing and there was nothing there and he used the word the climate deniers he said climate contrarian i think he respects richard Lindzen because he kept referring gen generically to climate deniers and then he said richard Lindzen was a climate contrarian so remember climate denier is a phrase used to evoke the holocaust when you say and we know this because CBS News anchor Scott Pelley actually said, I won't interview a climate denier for the same reason I won't interview a Holocaust denier on CBS News. And there's been, in my book, I have two dozen examples of mainstream media and academia hyping the idea that climate deniers equal Holocaust deniers. So it's interesting how Michael Mann uses the word climate denier for some and climate contrarian for others. 
Uh, I spent a little time at that. I'll have some video of my, you know, just me at the courthouse tomorrow. But again, I, I did film inside. I don't know if they're going to arrest me, but I filmed inside hallways. You cannot film inside of a courtroom. You will be uh, summarily arrested. Okay. In this situation with, uh, this is, I'm going to play you uh, the Stein man trial. This is Mark Stein. Uh, his let's see here trial audio this is a reenactment this is clip six this will give you a flavor of what's going on at this defamation the climate trial of the century let's play clip six you said you were looking forward to the lawsuit correct that's before i knew it would take 12 years if i could do a back to the future thing go back in time mr stein please answer the question i did answer the question let's talk about the nobel prize you mentioned that a number of times right Correct. And the initial complaint in this action referred to Dr. Mann as a Nobel Prize recipient, correct? Three times in that initial statement of claim. And when you had critiqued Dr. Mann and his lawyers for this mistake, were you aware of the underlying fact as to why that statement was made? If you're saying he was one of thousands upon thousands who contributed to the International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, just as a half a billion citizens of the European Union presumably contributed to the European Union's winning of the Nobel Peace Prize. So that anybody on the nude beach of Saint-Tropez can claim to be a Nobel Prize recipient. Then yes, I was aware of the underlying background. Thank you for that. Were you aware of a certificate received by Dr. Mann and the other scientists who, other scientists who contributed to the IPCC work? The certificate run off at the IPCC branch of Kinko's, as he well knows. Wherever it was run off. You don't know where it was run off, do you? I'm aware. You don't know where it was run off, do you? Do I know who mans the IPCC photocopier? No. Thank you. Mark Stein, a reenactment with an actor based on the exact wording of the, tr uh, the trial transcript, being uh, cross-examined by Michael Mann's lawyer. Just hilarious. I love when he said everyone on the nude beach at Saint-Tropez can claim to be a contributor to the EU winning the Nobel Peace Prize. The other thing is when Michael Mann says he's a Nobel winner, you think, oh, he's a scientist, he's a professor of science. You think he would be a Nobel Prize winning scientist. Yeah, but even if he he didn't win it, but his, the group he worked for won it, which is what Mark Stein was distinguishing. But it's a Nobel Peace Prize. It's a political prize, the same way Obama won the Peace Prize you know, three months into office when he hadn't even done anything. It's just pure politics. It's just weird that scientists want it. It's a misdirection to say, I, I'm a, the Nobel Prize winning scientist. Nobel what? Oh, is it, he won the Nobel Prize in science? Or what was that? Oh, you mean he didn't win. It was a political prize. Oh, because we remember on TNT, we brought you the TNT exclusive on my radio show, uh, the, uh, uh, the interview with the Nobel Prize winning scientist, John Clauser from the Baltimore event. Uh, and that's a real Nobel Prize winning. And actually, his name is on the Nobel Prize, and it was for physics, not a Nobel Peace Prize, uh, which has been cheapened beyond belief in the politics of the United, uh, not the United Nations, but the Nobel Committee. Okay, I just love the way Mark Stein is so in the face. I looked, I took a look at the jury today. I think it's 11 people. I could have been miscounting. Um, but they're very attentive. They're looking. There's a D.C. D.C. resident jury. And... The interesting thing about today's trial, they kept objecting at different questions to Michael Mann. I guess Mann's lawyers were. And they would then all have to put on headsets, not Michael Mann and not the jury, but the judge would communicate with all the lawyers through headsets. And then they played loud static in the courtroom 
which just was weird. So they they couldn't, the objections, I guess, were private and secret. So even the jury and even Michael Mann on the witness stand couldn't even know what his own lawyer was objecting. Strange. I don't know. I don't know that. Okay. Final clip. And then we're going to have Mark Lauder on after the break. But here it is. I mentioned Anne McElvaney and, and Fellow McAleer, they're the two Irish journal, uh, reporters. Like they live in the US now, but that's what they were known. They did Mind Your Own Business and they did Gosnell most recently that I'm aware of. And they've done Hunter Biden productions. They've done the, the, the FBI production. They've just an incredibly talented team. Well, they attempted to, Fellow McAleer attempted to ask Michael Mann a question a couple of days ago, walking out of the DC Superior Court from this. And he got an aggressive response from the goon squad surrounding Michael Mann. Let's play clip seven. Why did you uh, say you had a height decline, Dr. Mann? Why did you say you had a height decline? What was the decline you wanted to hide? What, 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 why, 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 yeah, okay. Dr. Mann, why did you falsely claim to, to have won the Nobel Prize? Would you like to apologize? Well, for those of you who couldn't see, that was a uh, man's lawyers and security guards or whatever you want to call them. Uh, just kept getting in the face of fellow Mackler. This was on a public sidewalk, not inside the courthouse. Uh, and instead of just politely declining, Michael Mann turned to his lawyers and said, you know, basically, get this guy out of my face. And of course, they came over and started shoving and pushing. Um, but I'd love to see it because Michael Mann, I, I was joking when the first time I went to the trial, I can't even imagine him agreeing or lowering himself to go through the courthouse security. It's similar to the airport. You got to take your laptop out. You got to empty all your pockets, take your jacket off. You got to go through the x-ray machine. They got to wand you. Uh, there's usually a long line, uh, especially in the morning to get in the courthouse that, that I experienced today. And Michael Mann, I just can't see that he would lay himself. Last time the trial was there, he came at the last possible minute he shows up because he's just he believes he's some kind of royal uh, noble family that doesn't that doesn't have to be among the commoners. He's always given that impression that he's he's with the science and nothing he says or does can be questioned. Okay.
That that was a great update. I'll have more updates on that. And on Friday, I got uh, Ann McElvaney, the, the half of the great team covering this Mark Stein, Michael Mann trial. And she's going to be talking about actor reenaction. She'll be joining us on TNT in an exclusive interview. Okay. When we come back, we're going to have Mark Lauder, the former special assistant to the president and press secretary to Vice President Mike Pence and director of strategic communications for Trump Pence. We're going to talk all things politics and media. When we come back on TNT, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano. TNT's Timothy Shea. The race is essentially now Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Ron disappoints us will be pulling his hat from the ring next. And the issue, as always, is why is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. My name's Stacy. I'm 57, and I was adopted in 2020. We were adopted in 2019. And we were adopted in 2021. We had a house, um, and it sounds crazy, but it wasn't a home. The one thing that Jake and Emma brought is it became a home. When I met Dakota, he had just turned 14. You weren't there for the first this and the first that. I missed the first words, but we got a lot of other firsts. I'm watching her say, oh my God, I cannot believe I got my license. And she's like, I passed. And I'm like, girl. <laughs> See them grow. It is. They chose to love us. They didn't have to. They chose us. Family. You. And you. Kids in the middle. What I thought was a complete life was nowhere near complete. <laughs> but it is now. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Many pollution sources can affect the air you breathe. From power plants and vehicles to dust and wildfires. Knowing more about local air quality can help you protect your health. If you're thinking about buying an air sensor, EPA has a series of videos to help you get the most out of it. Learn how EPA collects and uses regulatory data, how EPA communicates health messaging, and how to interpret the readings from your sensor. Visit epa.gov air sensor toolbox. Caution, you are about to, about to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country's all about. TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We're joined now with Mark Lauder. Uh, he's the, with the American uh, First Policy Institute, but he's also the former uh, special assistant to the president and press secretary to Vice President uh, Mike Pence, who are former Trump campaign official. Welcome to the program, Mark. Thank you. Always good to be with another great Mark with a C. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you get a lot of misspellings. Okay. Just a few. Uh, let's talk... You know, first of all, let's talk about President Trump. Um, when he started, when he announced in 2015, I guess it was 2015, he came down that escalator. I remember at the time thinking, 
that's that's the guy I want because he was an F you to the system. And I love that idea. And I loved it. It was cheered him on throughout his whole presidency. My only quibble with Trump, it turns out, was during COVID. I just wish he had done something with Fauci. I wish he hadn't done the National Declaration. I wish he hadn't. And Deborah Burks and the bit that they, they duped him on the 10 days to flatten the spread. That was the only that was where I just felt like the day he did that declaration and the, and the two weeks to flatten the curve was the day he seeded his whole campaign for re-election, unfortunately. But I just thought he was the most unique president. I looked back at all the Republican nominees from George H.W. Bush to Bob Dole to George W. Bush to McCain to Romney. And then I looked at other Republicans and said, how in the world you have a problem with Trump? And yet you you liked all these other guys? I mean, Trump was head and shoulders above them. Uh, and he was a risk. I understand that there were parts of me that thought he would turn into an establishment Republican because he wanted to be liked. But Maybe it's just that he turned into, I thought, an amazing president. And now, uh, first of all, just tell us about your how you got involved with the Trump-Pence campaign and, and what you ended up doing for them. Yeah, well, I joined the uh, campaign with uh, then-Governor Pence when he became the nominee yes. uh, uh, for vice president and uh, served as his press secretary on the 16 campaign and then during most of the first year of the White House, uh, about, oh, nine, 10 months into our, to the first year, uh, I still remember uh, distinctly Sarah Sanders uh, and uh, Hope Hicks coming to me uh, and saying that they needed me to do more television, more radio, uh, and <laughs> it's hard to do when you're the vice president's press secretary and it's not yes. often done by vice presidential press secretaries. So we made the decision to move me over to uh, what would become uh, later the campaign uh, so I could continue to be kind of an outside voice, but with inside knowledge on what was going on. Uh, and then when the campaign formally stood up in January 2019, then I was uh, director of strategic communications and continued on that role through Election Day. Wow. I mean, did you have a sense at the time how unique your position was in terms of the president and the presidency you were serving, the Trump-Pence, never, I don't believe, in American history. And I'd have to go back, maybe during the 1880s scandals, but certainly not even during Iran-Contra. Was there ever a media, corporate mainstream media attack on a sitting president? I mean, were you? did you get the sense that this was historic, just the, the vitriol and hatred and just there all any sense of objectivity? I mean, tell us what you had to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, the question is, what didn't we have to deal with? And they were throwing <laughs> it at us from all sides. Uh, I remember being in Trump Tower uh, in the in the transition, the night that the uh, so-called dossier leaked uh, at the be as the beginning of the fake Ru Russia hoax. And yes. you, you know, it's like they they just threw aside all journal. And I'm a former journalist. I, I studied yeah. to be one. I spent my first 15 years of my career in television news behind the scenes before moving into politics. And it just you saw a complete abandonment of any kind of journalistic integrity. Whatever it took to get Trump, they would stoop to it. And there was no journalistic ethics. There was no balance. There was no both sides of the story. Uh, I mean, they would even suspend, you know, needing multiple sources uh, to be able to get these <laughs> yes. stories out uh, just so they could try to get Trump. And even to this day, when you confront them with it, they don't think they did anything wrong. They still think that they are doing the people's business when they basically hide Joe Biden, hide the scandals of Hunter Biden, and continue to think uh, that Trump is a threat to democracy. And, and, you know, and it just goes to show you, you know, the same people that claim to be defenders of democracy are the ones defending taking someone's name off the ballot, defending 
supposedly journalistic outlets that no longer decide to show the leading candidate for uh, president in Donald Trump during his speeches, they'll tell you what he said and explain what he actually meant. Uh, I mean, that's not how democracy works. They don't actually trust the people and in a democracy to make the right decision. So they're going to have to force feed that decision upon us and whatever they have to do, they're willing to do. I mean, did, did, when you work there, give us an insight. Like, was it the most stressful office, or were people just like, kind of like, well, this we have nothing to lose because we're under such unprecedented attacks? I'm talking about the media aspect of it. Was it just like every day you'd wake up and you couldn't believe it, and it was like stressed out, and it was like overwhelming, or did you did you feed? It seemed like President Trump himself fed off the attacks. Did the staff, did people like you, did other people in the communication staff, did they feed off of it or were they like, you know, drinking hard liquor every day to cope? I'm being facetious when I say that. (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, At least after hours. Um, No, but I mean, no, you do feed off of his energy because you know going into it. I mean, when I woke up, you know, before, you know, very early in the morning when it's still dark outside and start reading the day's news, looking at the day's schedule, and you can already see the narrative that's coming out in the early morning hours and the in the morning shows of what the news cycle was going to be today. But after a while, you also can start hearing in the back of your head what the president's going to want you to say. You can already hear how the president, when we see him, is going to come in and say he wants yeah. to attack back. And so you kind of feed off of it. And then obviously, you know, to a certain extent, you also realize the best way we can actually win is go out and do our jobs, go out and cut taxes, make energy dependent, uh, world depend, you know, dominant, secure the border, do all of these things that the American people elected him to do is the best revenge we could ever have. And uh, we figured eventually they would get, you know, get with the plan. They didn't. But I do think the American people do, because I think that's what you're seeing in these results, both in Iowa last night in New Hampshire. uh, And when you look ahead to the way the polls say the people are willing, they, they want the they want the America first policies back because they worked. Yeah, I was a volunteer in 1992 on Pat Buchanan's presidential campaign. He challenged George H.W. Bush in New Hampshire, and he almost won that New Hampshire primary. But what I remember as a media person, the most shocking thing at the time, this was 1992, I guess, February, late January, February. I think I can't remember the guy's name, but there was someone on his campaign, an advisor who had shared a platform with some far right. Maybe it was a a neo-Nazi. I don't know what it was. I think it was Larry Platt. Larry Pratt was the guy. Anyway, the point is, every other candidate in American history would have, yeah, you know, seemingly at least modern history would have thrown that guy overboard. Instead, Pat Buchanan is like he shared one stage. This guy I've known my whole life. He's not going anywhere. I'm not firing him. And there's this whole drumbeat. Well, I always were like, wow, I really that that was novel and unique. Well, then Donald Trump came along. And his whole idea was double down, double down. It's almost like he said, if you find that offensive or you're outraged by that, wait till I do this and wait till I tell you that. How did you, as I said earlier, you woke up, but you had, you had to do your battle. But in the media, when you have that president who's willing to double down and just in the face of the media, instead of cowering, it was, so, first of all, just as an outsider, it was so refreshing. I want to thank you for your work. Thank President Trump, the whole Trump-Pence administration, because 
had never been done had Republicans fought back the way Donald Trump did. And it was just you know, stand up and cheer moments. He didn't take it. So how does how was that? I mean, you, let me put it this way. If you went and worked for the average Senate campaign or House campaign, I don't know that you'd I don't know that you'd have a hard time adjusting because you'd be like, I know how to handle this. And the candidates and everyone around the candidates would be like, you're horrified. What are you doing? No, we have to do damage control. Let's let's feed the beast. Let's let's how did you that's a big shift because that's you know, when I came up to media and communications, it was always about damage control, minimizing it, some level of pandering to the reporters, not in the Trump administration. Tell us the difference there. Well, and I think that's really fundamentally, I think, where the president, I mean, it's I always think people get 2016 wrong. Uh, you know, they they obviously they talk about how flawed Hillary was, and she is. Yeah. Uh, and and they talk about his campaign on the issues, but I think the one thing that President Trump did in 2015, 16, and now beyond is he tapped into this core feeling. I don't even know if it's a belief, but it was a core feeling across much of America that they were tired of being lied to. They'd been lied yeah. to by presidents and presidential candidates of both parties since the early 90s, late 80s, that we're gonna get tough with China. We're going to deal with immigration. We're gonna move the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Yes. We're gonna fix NAFTA. We're gonna fight for your manufacturing jobs. And the voters would vote. They would send these people to office and then they'd sit there and do nothing. And yeah. year after year, decade after decade, and I think the American people finally said, enough, we're done with all these politicians. I want a guy whose fam most famous line to, to date was, you're fired. And he just wants to get things done. And he doesn't matter if he breaks a few China dishes in the process of doing it. And so he carried that into the White House. I think the staff and, and those advisors fed off of that, that we're going to go do what we got to do. And if we have to break a few things along the way, we'll go ahead and get it done. But we're done turning the other cheek only to find ourselves compromised and still hated by the left. Because no matter what you do, You'll compromise with them. You'll hope you'll get along and they'll still attack you and still hate you. Uh, there's this general sense that the media permanently shifted when Trump was elected. And you hear this, and, and I want to get your analysis of this. Do you think it's true that the media basically said we can never allow anyone like Trump ever to be elected? We built this guy up. Not only do we have to destroy him, but we have to now do mass censorship and self-selection of reporters on a scale we've never done in order to prevent anyone like Trump or his views from ascending. Do you think that's what happened? I, I, I'm like, I come from the climate energy world, and it feels like there was a major shift in the media where you know, prior to Donald Trump, and I'm not blaming this all on Trump, but not even blaming Trump, I'm just saying that's what happened, is you could get climate skeptics on CNN, MSNBC, ABC News, and then it just became this attitude of like, no, we don't give credence to those are Trump's views. We don't give credence to those kind of views anymore. Did you sense that as a media, a longtime media observer in general? Did the media permanently shift as a response to Trump? Well, I think they'd been shifting for a long time. I, re I remember, yes. and, I, and I'm going to, I hope I don't botch this and I'm giving a proper credit, but I remember there was a speech, I think it was at CPAC or something a few years ago. I think it was Laura Ingram who did this, that talked about these quotes from the media about how this person was going to start World War III. This person yeah. didn't know what they were doing. They relied on their staff. The staff hid this person uh, so they wouldn't make a mistake of themselves. They were incompetent yes. and not capable of being president. You think that the mainstream media was talking about Donald Trump, they were actually talking about Ronald Reagan. 
And that's how far this goes. If you go back and I've studied all of them, read their yeah. books, uh, Marlon Fitzwater complains about how every time Ronald Reagan would fix an economic statistic, they would come up with a different statistic to point to to say how bad things were under Reagan. We see that again, whether it was Bush, we see it again uh, when it was Donald Trump. They just fundamentally are liberal. And uh, But what I think has happened because of the uh, bifurcation of the media you had it with cable news. Obviously, you know, CNN, when I was in the media, they were the trusted source. Obviously, the mainstream media were the mainstream media. Uh, but now they've all retreated into partisan uh, audiences, whether you're CNN and whether yeah. you're M MSNBC, Fox News, Newsmax, whatever you want. They, they are catering to a certain audience. Obviously, the mainstream newspapers have long been gone, and even many of the mainstream big three networks uh, are now just basically echo chambers for the left. And so I think, again, it kind of coincided with Donald Trump, and he recognized how to maximize it, how to use it, because why do I worry about you know getting on CNN or being liked by MSNBC when nobody who's going to vote for me watches them in the first place? Yeah, exactly. He understood that. All right. We got to take a break. We're talking with Mark Lauder, uh, a former Trump campaign official and, uh, and of the American First America First Policy Institute. We'll be right back. I want to play you a clip of Joe Biden. I want you to tell me what he said and why the audience is cheering when we come back. We'll be right back on TNT. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Unleashing the Beast, 
Mark Morano is unleashed on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano. All right, we're continuing our discussion with Mark Lauder, former Trump campaign administration official and official with the America First Policy Institute. All right, uh, Mark, I wanted to play you this clip. This is Joe Biden. I believe it's from yesterday. Uh, clip one for the producer here. Let's play it. Tell me what Joe Biden's saying. And then more importantly, why is the audience cheering this? Because I don't even let's take it. Let's take a listen. We'll teach Donald Trump a, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. It's funny. I mean, and the audience uh, cheers on that. Uh, what do you think he's saying? I guess he's saying something about don't mess with women. You said it was an abortion rally. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a it was a uh, it was a pro uh, killing of babies rally in uh, Virginia. And uh, I assume I mean, I think I could make out the word America, probably something along <laughs> that lines. Uh, I mean, does it matter, though? I mean, with the liberal left, they're told to cheer. I'm surprised they don't have like applause signs up there, you know, and you shall applaud and they will do so. Uh, so, you know, but the bigger question is, and I think this is important. Why is Joe Biden campaigning in Virginia? That is a That's blue right. state. Yeah. The fact that he is campaigning along with the vice president in, in Virginia tells me right now that they are already worried that that the Trump campaign is is growing the map. We now know Nevada is in play. It may already be gone for uh, Team Biden. The you know most of the Midwest states, the swing states, are already breaking according to the Real Clear Politics average for the former president. And uh, you know I've long said and told reporters, if you truly want to know what's going on with the campaign, ignore your polls. Watch where the candidates and their top surrogates right. go. Where they send them is where they're worried about. They're either growing or they're defending. It wasn't at 1960, although there are uh, exceptions. Remember 1960, was it Richard Nixon went to Alaska? Is that what it was, the campaign? Because he had pledged to go to all 50 states. And didn't he go in late October or something like that? But it was uh, it was a silly thing, uh, you know, because I don't think that was even in play. But yeah, you know, people make weird pledges. Uh, okay, real quick, uh, just run through a couple of horse races. What happened to Mike Pence? Why do you think his candidacy didn't catch on? What's your analysis of that? Well, look, you know, I think it's true of any candidate. You you, got, you need three things, right person, right message at the right time. And two yeah. of the three uh, just aren't it. And so obviously I've known the former vice president for 30 plus years, have a lot of respect for him and his service to our country and to my home state of Indiana. Uh, but you have to have the right message at the right time. And I don't think obviously it tapped into what the, uh, you know, what the base, what the Republican Party wants right now uh, for the right time. And and I don't think obviously it tapped into what the uh, you know, what the base, what the Republican Party wants right now uh, from their candidate. OK. And what happened to Ron DeSantis? I mean, this was a guy I, I always said he belonged in the governor's Hall of Fame. So I was very excited when he announced. And then he just sort I guess people have likened it to pulling a Rick Perry, where Perry, I was all I was all excited about Rick Perry. And then he entered the race and sort of fizzled. But how do you attribute what exactly do you think uh, were the elements that made DeSantis just go nowhere. Well, I think it's the same. It's the exact same problem. Uh, you know, obviously, Ron, whether it's Ron DeSantis, Jeb Bush, Rick Perry, Scott Walker. I mean, you can go down the list of really successful governors uh, who had done a great job in their states, then try to take it nationally. And it just fizzles out regardless of how much money they have, because you've got to tap into this innate quality, this thing that the voters want at the time. And if it's right now, they want Donald Trump back. 
And it could it be just yeah. because of the of the uh, policies? Could it be they think they got a raw deal and they want to redo? Whatever it is, they clearly want Donald Trump. So you know, will that same message work in twenty twenty eight? Possibly, but again, right time. Yeah. Uh, what about Vivek Ramaswamy? I people always said, "Well, why do you like?" Because I, I liked his message so much. People are like, "Oh, I don't, I don't trust him. He did X, Y, Z." And I'm like, "Well, I don't really want to spend time looking into his background." I did like his message. He did rise, and then I was a little disappointed. He sort of faded toward the end before he dropped out. But how do you explain his rise? He seemed to be the right movement person, sort of the uh, with the Trump message. How, how do you explain his uh, formidable presence in the campaign? I think he's like Trump, uh, you know, a few, a couple of decades, uh, you know, earlier uh, in his career. I mean, obviously, very successful businessman, great, uh, you know, great success in business. He's a fighter, which is what the, which is what the Republican Party wants. They want someone who will fight for America First principles. He was talking about America First principles and policies, and so he built that following. But unlike Donald Trump. He, you know, he didn't have a real roadblock in that lane, uh, you know, in 20, in, Donald Trump didn't in 2016, Vivek had a roadblock to that lane in 2024, it's Donald Trump. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you! Thank you! To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. From climate change to energy and environmental matters, you're listening to Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed. We had a technical difficulty there. We were talking with Mark. We're talking with Mark Lauder. You were just in the middle of explaining Vivek. You said he was a young Donald Trump. Just go ahead and finish your thoughts on Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, I mean, I think he was successful businessman, full of fire, full of energy, you know, could really rally up a crowd. And that's why you saw him skyrocket. But unlike Donald Trump in 2016, who really had no challenger in that lane in 2024, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy had a challenger in that lane and his name was Donald Trump. So, <laughs> yes. again, right message, right time. We'll see. I, I think Vivek's got a bright future. All right. And what about Nikki Haley? How do you analyze her? She seems to be the establishment's first uh, and only choice at this point now, obviously. Uh, do you see her? You know, she was trying to claim a lot of them. I know Drudge Report and others who are now anti-Trump were trying to claim some shocking you know, showing of Nikki last night, Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. But how do you analyze her? Uh, Nikki got 25% of the registered Republican vote last night in New Hampshire. Uh, she's getting clobbered in her home state right now, according to the Real Clear Politics average, by over 30 points. 2024 is an Olympic year. So in the spirit of Olympic gymnastics, the only thing that Nikki Haley needs to worry about is stick the landing. It's done. 
<laughs> okay, do you see her uh, just looking ahead? Is she going to be like a formidable GOP uh, threat for president? I mean, I can't stand her personally, but do you see her as sticking around and coming back and being a favorite of the donor class? Uh, there's always a chance if she does it, if she handles the landing correctly in 2024, but there's no pathway forward for her here. I mean, she can get out now and save herself the embarrassment in her home state, but even go beyond her home state if she wants to stick it out and give it a, and give it a shot. Name me a state where she can win. I mean, Super Tuesday. And when you're only pulling 25 percent of reg registered Republicans in New Hampshire and all of your nearly all of your support came from independents and liberals. Yeah. Well, how are you going to win a closed Republican primary <laughs> where independents and liberals can't yeah. come in and influence it? So, I mean, I don't see how she's going to keep the funding going because, yeah, there are a lot of big donors behind her. But are they going to still just continue to throw money down the drain in something that's not going to end up with any chance of the nomination? All right, well, how do you see this? Uh, well, first of all, all the all the uh, the legal cases against Donald Trump. How do you see those playing out? I mean, is there is there, first of all, there's no chance that Donald Trump will be any state will have him off the ballot. It's very unlikely the Supreme Court wouldn't allow that. And secondly, there's no chance of him actually being found guilty before the election of any of these trumped up charges, so to speak. Do you see any of that? Is that a possibility that he could be charged, uh, actually prosecuted by anything by November? Uh, even if they did, I think the only case that there's a remote possibility of that happening right now would be the uh, D.C. case by the special counsel. Um, but even then, that thing is filled with legal holes, legal drama. But, you know, it, it's not hard to find 12 Democrats who hate Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. <laughs> uh, they outnumber us by about 150 to one. So, uh, you know, but even if they were to convict him on these these just witch hunt charges, it, he's not, he, you know, they will appeal it. Eventually, this thing is going to end up in the Supreme Court. And I'm not even sure that that Jack Smith can get a conviction. Uh, you know, when you actually start to bring out all the facts of this case, uh, there's a lot of holes in there. I, what did you make of as a Jamie Dimon from the JP Morgan CEO who basically went on CNBC and said, you know, we may not like Trump personally, but a lot of his policies were right. He went through immigration, economics, I and mean, he listed a whole series of things. Is that sort of the the corporate class telling the mainstream media now that it's okay that to like Donald Trump and that we're now that this primary season's over, we're choosing Trump? Did you meet did you read any significance in his comments? I read a lot of significance in those comments because he also made them at Davos, uh, you know, to the yes. world global elite. Uh that they uh, look, the world was safer. We were more prosperous. We had we things were more affordable. Life and business was better under Donald Trump. And so whether you like him or dislike him, you should get used to the fact that there's a very good likelihood, in Jamie Dimon's words, that he is going to be reelected. And it's actually better for business. I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of people. And I, I know it's kind of a meme, but it's true. I'll take a mean tweet for two dollar Gaskin. I mean, that's not <laughs> a bad that's not a bad deal. Which, which brings me to another question. Is there any chance Donald Trump would ever moderate some of his rough edges? Do you think that's even a possibility in a second term? Would he ever try or would he get even rougher and upset the same people even more? Is there, is there ever a chance where he would just stop the mean tweets is what I'm asking you? Well, I think you even saw it a little bit in the uh, in in his speech after the Iowa caucuses. I mean, it was very mu a very uh, moderate tone for him. It was one of unity, bringing the party together, and I think you'll see more of that uh, coming up yeah. through uh, these primaries. 
Uh, when we get into a general election, it's going to be a fight. Do you want more of the chaos of the same, or would you like the success, prosperity, and secured border of the of the Trump administration? All right, we only got about 20 seconds left. Give us your prediction for November 2024. Who's going to win this? I think Donald Trump wins it. Uh, I think he wins back Arizona, Georgia, probably Michigan, Nevada, and that'll get you the, the numbers you need to win. Bigger margin than 2016 or about the same? I think he might win the popular vote this time, uh, but wow, I don't know if we'll get the same margin because uh, you took Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, and I'm not sure if you'll get all of them. You might. Who knows? Okay. Wow. Bold prediction. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mark Lauder. Thank you for joining the show. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano. See you next time.